something that I've seen quite heavily in our space and I've seen you transition away from it is destination addiction, particularly in the real estate industry. What's been your experience with being based in Sydney, working in real estate, then transitioning to a lifestyle and a business model which serves you rather than you serve it? Like I was having this conversation recently with someone, like five years ago, even six years ago, if you had asked me could I see myself leaving Sydney, like the east, like no way, like leaving it, like escaping it and living somewhere else. Like going overseas and travelling, of course, but just like living somewhere within New South Wales as an example, like no way. Fast forward now, like obviously we're in Byron. Like, dude, I can't go back to the city. I'll go back and visit family, but the, just the lifestyle's so good. And so to answer your question though, I make decisions around my lifestyle now, not around the business. So just like to give you an example, like people might live in Potts Point so they can walk to the city to their, to their office. They make decisions around their, their career, you know, their professional life. Uh, and so a lot of the decisions I make are now around my lifestyle. Like how is it going to impact my lifestyle? This, this, like if I'm looking at a new biz op, like a business opportunity, like for example, I'm assessing something now to become a shareholder in a company and uh, look into that. And so I have to assess my time commitment and what's going to happen because how's that going to impact my lifestyle? Yeah, wow. So it sounds like you've really shifted from creating a routine which optimises you to be obsessed with work versus now it sounds like you're switching to how do I create a vehicle which gives me the capacity to fund me having more free time? Yeah, effectively. But getting back to obsessed with work. So I used to be super obsessed with work, like seven days. Like I'd work seven days. It's all I thought about. Thought about it over family. Thought about it over friends. It was... It was I was so identified with work, like work became my life primarily because I was insecure. So I wanted to succeed in business to like break through that insecurity. But ironically, I'm doing way better now and I do way better in terms, whatever you, like way better, what does that mean? Uh, You know, like cash in bank, uh, uh, portfolio of, of, of assets, you know, et cetera. I'm doing way better now and I have a lot more time. So I'm not working seven days. Like, and so you could argue the point like LeBron James, like to be that good, you've got to work your ass off and you probably won't have much of a life. Like there's definitely an argument for that and a good debate. Mm. But I think having a business is different. Like LeBron is LeBron, but if you own a business, like management is the art of getting things done through other people. So if you run a business, you can get your business to operate at a very optimal level and you can get back your time, I believe. And so you were running a business back in Sydney, Cohen Hammer. What prevented you from staying in that vehicle versus now transitioning to BAI? Um, Okay, put it this way. Could you still, what you've just told me now, could you insert those practices back in Cohen Hammer or do you feel you needed that transition for you to now be aware to manage other people? Okay, so... Cohen Handler is a service-based model. Buys Age Institute, BAI, what I'm running now as one of my businesses, that's like a, what I call like a one-to-many model. It's like a product model. So I sell, a pro- I sell products. And so they are two different models in my opinion. So, for example, BAI can be run remotely. I don't mm. need to be in an office. My team are all remote. I've got some overseas 
they're all based around Australia. I haven't met a lot of them. Um, yeah, like I haven't met a lot of them. Uh, so it's a very different style of business model. There's obviously, I think, like leadership practices that I uh, cultivated at Cohen Handler that I've been able to, to bring into BAI and a lot of mistakes I made building a, a startup like we did at CH and then go through that period of running that company over a decade, a lot of mistakes I made that I was able to, you know, bring that awareness into BAI. So I'd say it's the reverse. I was able to bring a lot of in interesting information into BAI. Mm. However, I've now been able to optimise um, my, my knowledge base and my skill set a lot in BAI with just um, understanding what people do in the education space around the world. Like to give you an example, like there's some people that I know in the US that do like 80 mil USD a year. They're like 31. What? In education, just selling courses. Uh, they don't, they've just got a basic website. Um, some of them have a landing page as a website, no office. Um, yeah, and so the education space that I'm in now, uh, it's quite, it's obviously very diverse, but wow. I've, I've learned a lot just around how people build these remarkable businesses. And obviously you've got to work hard, but you, get, you can get back a lot of time because you're selling a product and it's one-to-many. So one-to-many means, you know, you create your product and you, then you sell it many times. And then if you've got a team behind you, like operationally, and you've got your sales team, marketing team, finance, all that stuff set up, it can run very efficiently, like very, very efficiently. Well, like almost, almost autonomously where you physically don't need to do as much as opposed to being on the tools as a buyer's agent. Yeah. I mean if that's what suits you. Like some people love mm. being on the ground as a buyer's agent. They love working that six or seven days. They love the client interface. They really enjoy that. Uh, I like business. I love business. I love creating new ideas. I like executing on them. I like growing. And I prefer not to be client interfacing every day. Mm. But rather like more so like thinking strategically and executing on vision and like pulling strings and supporting people and growing people and uh, running it like that so I can surf heaps and like you know we've talked about this previously like my lifestyle is super important how I live and what I and the choices I can make so um, if I was to be seeing clients all day and mm. be in meetings all day it just doesn't work for me do you reckon we can touch on your lifestyle at the moment because something to, that I want to unpack not only for myself but I think a lot of listeners can get value out of how how does your lifestyle run at the moment with the business you've been able to create how does it start yeah tell me a bit about the routine what you, your flexibilities and, and how that looks for you at the moment okay today i should have surfed rookie i made a mistake i didn't go so usually i will surf in the morning but typically i get up at around i'd say average four thirty. yep i'll lie on what i've what's called a pemf mat a pulse electromagnetic field mat and it's just, it increases your blood circulation, al alkalizes your body. It's like, it's like this pulse that goes through your body. And so it can be quite strong. And so you can, you can set it to a setting that is either harsh or non-harsh, but I line that for 12 minutes in the morning. It feels good. Then I'll typically go, if I don't, I'll typically go for, to the gym and do the rowing machine. I do rowing machine for about nine minutes. Typically do about 2000 meters. On the rowing machine. 2,000? Yeah. Hugh Jackman, I heard him on a podcast and he said he, he used to do 2,000 three or four times a week in eight minutes. I, I can't do eight minutes. I mean, I probably could, but 
I do it in nine because mm. it works out like a, a large part of your muscle groups. Very effective, very efficient again. So I can do that in nine minutes and work out like 90% of my body. Um, wow. So I do that. Then I'll do a bit of calisthenics, like you know, just push-ups, chin-ups, dips, and then I'm out. If I'm not surfing after that, which I did this morning, I didn't surf, I then go to the beach, ground myself, and go for a swim. I swim every day. Every day in winter, every day in summer, I swim every day. Like not laps, I just get, I get in the ocean. Get in the ocean. Almost like your version of the ice bath. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, some days I'll do a hot and cold, like sauna and ice, but yep. I, I typically do that like every two days. So I didn't do it today, I did it yesterday, but that will be throughout the day. I'll do that throughout the day, like hot and cold. Um, hot and, cold. and then every day I do um, oxygen therapy. So I, I have an oxygen mask and run on a machine. Um, it's, it's called adaptive contrast where you... Um, deprive yourself of oxygen like you were if you were like at 11,000 feet. Wow. And then, and then increase the level of oxygen. And so you're running whilst you're depriving yourself and then you're flicking a switch and you're increasing oxygen. And then I'll do red light, infrared light. So those red light panels, um, I stand in front of them as well. Uh, so I incorporate all that throughout the day um, at different times. Uh, that's what I, and then I also sometimes do hyperbaric oxygen chamber when you when you sit in I sit inside a chamber, and um, you increase the air pressure and just you just breathe. It's very you can you put a laptop in there and just do your own shit. Yeah, right. So you, it's flexible in, inside the chambers to do things. Yeah, they've got like the one that I go to. Like you can, you can be on your phone or bring a computer in, or like I sit there and just chill. But you can get work done. Yeah. Wow. And so how, what's a typical work day or length look like for you at the moment? It depends. Uh, at the moment, I'd say if, if, you are, if, if I was to calculate hours, it'd be around like th- maybe like 11 to, 11 to 13 hours in the week. Really? Yeah. It used to be less than that. So you can pull off 11 to 13 hours a week earning more than what you were at, say, CH. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. 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 Wow. And I've got multiple businesses. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm involved in other businesses as well, um, non-op- non-operationally. Um, I've invested in companies. I'm also um, being granted equity in some companies what I, that, that I participate as well um, in a strategic level. Um, I've also got coaching business and a consulting business um, so I've got other businesses as well but I've, I've set everything up that they work uh, primarily as a group of, of companies it works independently uh, outside of me so most of your ventures can operate and grow without you needing to really be there full-time yeah that's that's how I make my decisions because as I said earlier like if I had to jump into something like hardcore mm. like a new startup it would eat up too much of my time and i just i don't want that you know what i mean mm. if it was super meaningful like the, the purpose of the company and whatever I, I was kind of assessing and maybe i'd reconsider it if i really wanted to like jump in because it was like i was passionate about the the business venture but at the moment like nothing's that too exciting to give up my lifestyle yeah, wow. So what, what would you then, how would you define success for yourself? Well, if I looked back, success used to be like cashing bank. Yeah. Like what you're worth, net, was net worth. 
But I, I, I kind of look now and think, well, let's just say you're a high-powered CEO. Let's say you're earning 20 mil a year and you can't really control your calendar. Like, I don't see that as successful, personally. Because mm. um, I think we're on this planet for a limited time. Like, a lot of us don't think about mortality. We just think that we're going to keep living, living, living. And we think going away twice a year is, like, the fucking the best. Like, that's just... You, you're killing it. You go away twice a year, you do Europe mid-year, you go away end of year, maybe skiing. And, and you, your life's set, then you go back into work. Um, and then you do that maybe to your, your 55, 60. Um, I, 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 I don't see that personally as me. Like, for me, like, I want to be able to enjoy every day. Like, I just want to really be able to um, have a nourishing day. And not have to wait mid-year for me, right? So success for me is around agency, having like autonomy. When I mean agency, I mean control, um, flexibility, um, being able to do what you want, when you want, just whenever. So that, that to me is, is, is how I define success. Mm. So being able to do what you want, when you want. And... Do you feel people can start living the version of success you outlined before they've built a cash base or some level of equity where they can start to pull back their time? Or do you feel they need to build a cash base first before they start transitioning to living more balanced approach? It's a hard one. I mean, in education, I've seen a lot of people who you could classify net worth not strong at all, like mm. very weak, who I've seen build over my time and, you know, being in this space for five years, build insanely large businesses, like insane. And they, they were nothing before in the sense of like they hadn't achieved success, which is also one of the issues with education is mm. you have these people who sell shit who they become successful from selling, selling shit. their shit, yeah. but they weren't successful before. So that's, that is a problem that I've seen a lot. Um, but so... I think you can really – I don't think you need to start something um, or be successful or have a, a strong cash reserve. I interviewed – this, this is a bit off topic in terms of what you asked, but I interviewed a guy recently who came through my program at BAI. His name's Goose McGraw from Dashdot. Yeah, I've seen. We had a chat, right? Um, former drug addict, like, like was on the verge of dying. I remember when I spoke to him, because at the beginning of BAI, like I used to speak to all the, the, the prospects, right, yeah, on the right. phones because I wanted to understand the issues, the objections and understand, you know, I was, I was teething out a new model, right, a new product. I, was, I just wanted to learn about it. So I was on the phone doing the sales calls. So initially, I forget for, for how long, maybe the first four months. I remember speaking to him, right, like I think I was, at the, I, I was, either, I was either in the airport in Singapore or I was going to Singapore, but I spoke to him and his partner, Gabby, and he corrected me when I spoke to him about this because he was basically, they were broke when they spoke to me, he told me. Like, they had to, they had to borrow the money to do my program and I, and I allowed them to do it over 12 months, apparently, I forget. <laughs> so he, he actually told me on interview, he goes, man, I was broke. Wow. So he was broke. Fast forward now, I think it's been four years, his business, I think, is doing over 11 million revenue. 11 million? 11 million. His whole business, he's got... His whole business, in order to work at his company, you've got to be remote. You, you, you can't be in an office. So if you want to be in an office, you can't work at his company. So he's built his business around lifestyle. Some of the people that work for his company, like they travel around Australia in, in a caravan, as an example. 
Like some of them live in Bali, some of them live in New Zealand. Like, and so he's actually built this business around lifestyle to support his workers. Uh, but getting back to, I was digressing a bit. No, but, this is good. But he was basically broke. Right? Yeah. He, he was broke. Actually, he was broke. He was broke when he started my program. He had to borrow the money to do my course, right? Had nothing. Um, one of his business ventures before that had went sour. Um, so track record really wasn't there and then executed in the BA space. And, you know, he's, he's doing a lot more than most people <laughs> in, in revenue. Yeah. You know, doing a lot more. And, 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 you know, I think he'll be on track next FY. Oh, maybe not next FY. I think he'll be on track next calendar year, just looking at some numbers and talking to him around some things. To, he'll be doing 20 mil plus. I, I, I think next calendar year he'll do, um, he'll do over 20 mil. How are the margins in that type of arrangement where it's more remote? But, uh, yeah, for, for something like what he's building with a, a big revenue number, what, what type of margins would you, could you expect? It's a good question. I don't know. I haven't looked at his P&L, mm. right? But in the BA space, I mean, you've, you've been a buyer's agent. So it, it's high, and you, you are a buyer's agent. Um, <laughs> you don't look, you're in a singlet now. You're at what are you going to for? <laughs> you, 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 you're very no, Byron I'm, style I'm now. I'm very Byron. We're living the dream. Um, okay. I see some people doing crazy net profits in the BA space. Like, mm. let, me, let, let me pull it back in, actually. Okay, let me answer the question. What I think is cool about the buyer's agent sector is this. If I wanted to be a real estate agent today in Byron, like I'm up against Will Phillips at McGrath, Nick Dunn, his partner. I'm up against James McCowan at Sotheby's. I'm up against all these. I could name all the groups, like, you know, that, that, that have. So Ben Handler, they're like, who, who the fuck's he? No one. Um, <laughs> Vendors might not be as precious as the East in Sydney, but I'm up against people who've been knocking on their doors for a long time or who are a lot more um, experienced than I am mm. um, as a selling agent. And so it's very hard for a selling agent to start their own business mm. under Ben Handler, real estate agent, as an example. The beautiful thing about the buyer's agent space, and you're a classic example, is that you can start a buyer's agent business Daniel Beardle, and when you go meet a prospect today, they're not comparing you to established brands. They're not mm. waking up in the morning thinking these are the established bands like Rain and Horn and Ray White and McGrath, etc. And so the beautiful thing about the BA space is you can start a business and you can run with speed and you can have very fucking high profit. So getting back to your question, I, some, I see some businesses running at 90% profit margins, net profit. Wow. Doing a mill a year. Two and a million a year. Two and a million a year. Yeah. I've seen some of them at around uh, like one and a half doing, doing, a, doing 90% net profit. So if you look at some of these agents who are doing three mil wow. and they're split. So that, that's just one. And then, yeah. and then, but getting back to like these larger companies, right? Some of these BA companies, right? They're growing really quick. I actually don't know. I would say their profits would vary between, I'd say, 30 to 60%. Hmm. 30 to 60%. Um, which 30 is still good for a business. Like if you ask an accountant, is 30% net, like they look at all their portfolio of clients across, across different industries. Hmm. I think if you look on Google around the average net profit for companies in Australia, I reckon it would be like 11% or something. 
I reckon it'd be between nine and eleven percent. Yeah. Wow. Well, I guess that's what the, I know from my experience, one of the beautiful things is that if I want to be on the tools, I can make 100% profit with zero expenses, just using a telephone and calling and building relationships with referral partners, which to me was just um, blew my mind at the amount of money I made this year in a short period of time, comparing to someone like Kevin, who I co-host of the podcast, for him to have the same level of profit, he has to do five deals to equal my one at times like and so i see him work towards three mil gci but when you look at the net profit versus what i can do and still have a lifestyle it's like i don't know if the um lebron james model is is the model to be and and you can outsource a lot of your stuff as well and i can i've got people working for me right now while i do this podcast yeah doing deals for you um and especially for the investment side the owner occupier as well I feel like the owner occupier, you need a bit of, you definitely need an area specialist to help uh, with that confidence. But the investors is a huge market to really create a cash flow working remote, I believe. I think a lot of real estate agents, like I've obviously been in the BA space since 09. That's crazy. Then I wasn't that familiar with these investment models that, I, that, I'm, that I've seen operate in the last four years. I wasn't exposed to them when I was running CH. So I've learned a lot as well around how, how these uh-huh. models operate. Um, and I don't think many real estate agents or people in the real estate realm in general quite understand some of the numbers these guys do. Seriously. Like I, I because I, I've got over 3,000 students now and I, I see a lot. Like I see a lot of people do a mill in their first year. Like on 90% profit. In their first year, by the way, they could have been like, um, like some of these guys. They're, they're really passionate about investing. Some of them might quite have large portfolios. Um, first year bang, like so. Like you said, it's very low operating expenses. P and L is very healthy. Mm. Um, it's a very exciting space, and how you can get the business, especially the investment model, to run outside of you independently. So you can have a, you know, get, get time back if that's important to you. Some people, that they, they love the hustle, which is mm. sick. I used to do that. They love it. But if you're someone who kind of wants... What was to the turning... Sorry to interrupt. What, what changed your perspective from the hustle to a different approach, which is more lifestyle? And then we'll come back to that. Sorry to interrupt. Um, there was a few turning points. First is when I started BAI... I was at Cohen Handler still. So BAI mm. was founded when I was at CH. And when I got a taste for that one-to-many model, I was like, hey, I can create a product and I can sell it. Like, I think the first month I might, I forget how many times I sold it. Could have been like six or seven times. I was like, fuck, this is exciting. Because what's a rough product fee? Just, you know. Eight, eight grand. Eight grand. Yeah. Plus there's additional coaching and stuff that other programs that we sell. Mm. But... The, the, yeah. Um, when I got a taste for that, it made me realise and open my, my, my lens, my aperture lens, that, hey, I, I, can, I can live a bit differently. Like, I can run a business differently. Mm. Like, I can, I, can, I can operate a bit differently. So that, that was probably one key, pivotal, like, turning point. It was like a mindset shift. Because, like, as a buyer's agent running a company, you're very stuck in your shell. Mm. 
sure you talk to other business owners and learn stuff, but I'll seeing it through a certain lens. And then after that, I, I was just kind of like looking at the way I was living, which was, you know, from the outside, you could think it was, it was awesome. But like every day I was just, for me, I was just like in an office and I was, I wasn't, if you looked at, if you looked at my scorecard and looked at like business and then the other scorecard was like building a life, like the scorecard of building a business was like massive, like very full, overflowing, but building a life was like empty. And so I kind of, I looked at that and thought, I, I, I'm not here for a long time. Um, I'm, I need to change that. And that's when I started to move up north. I went to the northern beaches first. That was like the first stop. Um, lifestyle change. I was like, oh my God, it's quieter here. And then got up to Byron. What were some of the negative ripple effects with having zero in the life bucket? I think like trying to maintain a positive mindset is difficult. You know, the people who always tell you, look at them, hey, how are you? Always fucking great, 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 great. Like a lot of it's a load of shit. <laughs> it's like Instagram and Facebook, everyone's yeah. posting the good things. Like no one's posting the bad things. So it's, it's very artificial. I think a lot of people don't have awareness just around that. They're so used to just looking at the social and seeing the positivity, so used to seeing people and people just saying how good they are. So it's very artificial. So mm. I think you've got to, for me, like I've, you have to, it's like you've got to floss your mind, you've got to floss your brain, you've got to work on yourself. Like you, got, you, got, like you go to the gym and work your muscles, you've got to work that mental muscle, that mental fitness. Like you've got to work at it. Like if you're not working at it and you think it's, it's, it's resilient and strong, I think it's bullshit. Right, it's like if if, if you're not you don't go to the gym, you don't work out. Like, you know, mm. you're not going to be um, at that level. And so, I think for me, I just got to a point where I realised that through um, introspection, that I wasn't that happy. Did but that I, introspection come facilitated from a third party, or was it internally driven? It was internally, right? Like, you know, you, you get the car, then you get the next car. Then you get the next car, then you get the fucking watch, then you get the next watch, then you get the next watch. But someone's always got a better watch, more watches. Someone's always got a better car, bigger boat, bigger house. And so it's a vicious cycle. And I went through it, which I'm very, really, really grateful. And I'm blessed that I, and not like I don't appreciate nice things now. I do. But I don't depend on them to make me happy. I don't buy it thinking, fuck, it's going to like solve a problem for me. If anything, I think it um, adds fuel to your fire. Mm. Um, and a lot of it, if you peel it back, if, if you really peel it all back, I think a lot of the time, a lot of the time for people, it's like it's feeding insecurity. It's feeding ego. It was for me, but I definitely think it, it is the case for a lot of people. Um, so I started to care less a lot about all that stuff. Like I, I couldn't really give a shit. And so my life started to become a lot better. I became a lot happier. And I have to work on it. Like I said, like I have to continue to work on it. Like I don't get up every day thinking that I'm happy as Larry. Um, mm. Then the, it's, it's like scientifically, like the brain is negative. Like negative thoughts. I always tell yeah, you like... It's like 75%, isn't it? Or something crazy. Yeah, yeah. So like, it, if, like it's completely negative. And so it, it takes, I think it takes a lot of work. Mm. I, I don't know. Well, for me, it does. I, I agree. And something that I'm, I'd love to get your perspective on, which I 
feel is relevant in my life is that I like the idea of changing to the lifestyle model and not needing material to fulfill me. But then when it comes down to living this alternative model, how do we still be effective where we are? And one thing you asked me was, what problem are you trying to solve? And I've felt, I feel sometimes when we go down this path of mindfulness, um, connectivity, meditation, etc., it can be easy to get caught in the trap of getting lazy or content versus still maintaining a level of op, uh, effective output. What's been your experience to being able to balance both where you can still maintain your lifestyle but build success? That's challenging. I think, I think that's really challenging. Um, first three years, like, I felt like I was lazy as fuck because, like, I had all this time back. Things were going really well, heaps profitable, like, really profitable. But I wasn't working every day. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? My, my, my day wasn't stacked with meetings every day. So I felt like... I was like, what the fuck's going wrong? What, what, what am I doing? Like, I'm lazy. I'm getting complacent. I'm not productive. My output's not great. And so I think it's really tricky. However, I think what it starts with is you've got to define what you want. Like, what, what, what does a typical day look like for you and what's important for you? So if your typical day, as an example, can comprise of doing activities like hobbies or things that are going to serve you well, right? And you can still bring into that mix of the day some very um, productive meetings that are going to lead to very serious output, right? And you can really focus on very high-valued meetings or very high-valued time commitments that are going to lead to high output, you know, results. And you can achieve those results professionally. I think it's brilliant, I think, I think it's a misconception that you've got to work like six days to be successful. I, I think it's bullshit. Like, and I'm not saying you don't have to work hard, but I, I, I see it all the time in the business realm and I think you can, you can go out there and look at it yourself, like look across different verticals, different industries, and you can see it all the time. Like you don't need to um, work all day um, to... Um, deliver high output and you can integrate and have a and have a balance but you got to get clear it's it's again it's challenging i i struggled with it for like three years hard and so how did you manage to get clear now is there a process you've gone through some exercises you do to help get that clarity or is it a daily commitment to doing things like your mindfulness practices to get you in a zone where you're present rather than being in your head in this state of fight or flight because your nervous system's hyped up because you're trying to achieve XGCI and then you're not in this state where you can allow the creative space to come in? Um, I think for me I had to get crystal clear on what was important for me in a day, like what was very important for me. And for me it used to be work throughout the entire day and then I decided, hey, that wasn't serving me well mentally, mm-hmm. mentally. And then I was like, hey, I know I can perform at a high level financially and not have to do that. So just having awareness and a realisation around that and then proving and validating that was, was enough for me. And then when I was able to work that out, I then decided, well, if I'm going to spend previously like 
maybe 10, 11 hours of a day working my ass off what I was doing before, why don't I contribute a large portion of that time to doing shit that I really enjoy? Like, why don't I flip the coin a bit? And then work out, what am I happy with net profit? Like, I don't measure revenue as net profit, right? It's all about what, you've, what, what you're keeping. So what am I happy with, to answer your question, like, how do you work it out? I was like, what's a net profit figure that I'm happy with, right? And one of my coaches, like, she, she said that to me. So one of my coaches, Lauren, she, um, like, she coaches people like Hugh Jackman and shit. Um, she's, she's, she's legit, like, she's really good. And she sees this a lot, with a lot, with a lot of her billionaire clients as well, she told me. It's because when you're not crystal clear on not just like, for example, your net profit, but like, the, like what's going to be a figure, like an amount that you're going to be happy with as a total amount to walk away with. So like rather than like chasing to go to like 50 mil to 100 to 150, 200, like if you could say, hey, at 80 mil, like I'm good no matter what. Like I'm, I'm just good. So I think it's about getting clear around certain milestones of your financial journey that you need to make and just not budging. Like you go to an auction, you say, I'm going to not walk away, if, you know, if I'm going to go to four mil. Yeah. Four mil's it. So if you say, hey, I want to do like four mil net profit, if you're on track to hitting that and everything's going well, then fuck, just do what you got to do during the day and have fun. So I think it's around, and there's a lot of discipline in that. It's very hard. Like I struggled with that as well. So now I set myself these very clear milestones and if I'm on track for them and I can then have a joyful day, I'm all good personally with that. If you're not on track with those milestones, does that mean you have to then flick back into more of a work schedule or do you still give yourself the permission to enjoy the process and have that lifestyle piece? There's definitely um, an allocation of time to problem solve. Yep. So whether it's speaking to um, experts who can advise me around what I'm doing, I can assess my, uh, my human capital within the company that, I, that I'm working in, like the people. Uh, I can look strategically around what's going on. Like you've got to, you've got to solve the problem. And so, yeah, it, it could mean spending more time in that business to troubleshoot. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's what you've got to do. And then what would be some of the things you would do now inside the life piece that have really started to produce that fulfillment outside of the schedule you're given this morning is it filled with holidays is it having time with friends and family uh what what is it networking what would be some things that you could share surfing's a big one i know i talk mm. surfing's a massive one like i think just having a a hobby a sport something that you really like that you can like st like starting the morning off in the water when mm. you know, sunrise is like unbeatable, especially in Byron. Like it's incredible. It's, yeah, it's like it's hard to beat. So, and surfing's very um, it's it's very athletic and you know it's it's strenuous and it's fun, right? So, for me, finding a hobby that I love um, is is been good. Animals. So I've got I've got two two dogs, two cats. Um, spending time a lot with animals I think is a big thing for us for Rachel and I like heaps like we, we, we spend a lot of time with the animals um, learning you can learn a lot from them we don't have kids but you can learn a lot I think from animals um, so 
they're also like I see that I see them as teachers. Teachers. Yeah, I see them as teachers. Like not 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 obviously like a mentor, but I see them as like a teacher. Like they 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 bring mirrors up for me. Like this morning we've got a German Shepherd and she's a puppy. She's eleven months. She's a like a like a working dog. Like she she comes from a police breeder and um a, a breeder in Victoria that gives supplies to the military and the police. So she's a, like a little savage. Um and what's her name? Uh, Dakota. Dakota. And so she's a bit of a savage. And so I was on the beach this morning as an example and this dog came up. To, she's heaps protective, like crazy. So she's like, she, Dakota's sitting about 20 metres away from me. This other dog, this, this beautiful like small groodle or whatever, came up to me and was sitting next to me and just I was playing with it. And she's looking at me, Dakota, and I had no idea this was going to happen. And then the dog kind of ran off and then Dakota just went at it. Like just like, because in like, wow. what are you doing speaking to my owner? And so anyway... <laughs> I had to rip Dakota off the dog. It was pretty bad, right? Not, it didn't attack it bad, but I just, I was, it was pretty embarrassed. And, and then she, she knew I was going to lose it, so she ran off from me. She's very well trained. She ran off. And so I then started losing my temper. I started getting really pissed off. And this is the teaching mode. Like, what about calmness? Mm. Like, how do you handle yourself in a stressful situation? And so I think there's a lot of moments like that I, that's just an example this morning, right? Um, where, you can learn a lot from certain you know, people or things in your environment. So d- animals um, and also garden. So what we're doing, like we've got a property with six acres. Six in, acres? In Byron, yeah. So it's, um, it's 24,000 squares and we're building a food forest. So um, Organic? Organic, of course. So like full food forest. Like right now we've got like a lot of stuff growing, but it's not a food forest yet. We've just got heaps of beds. But So gardening and like interacting with the environment, the land, eating from your land. Like in Sydney, you know, I was living in, I think, Elizabeth Bay, but this was the last stop in the city. Like, you know, you're in a concrete, I was in a concrete jungle, um, which is cool. I loved it, you know, for the time I spent there. But now just picking zucchinis, cucumbers, tomatoes off your, like lettuce, um, beetroot leaves, like all that stuff, and then making a meal mm. and nourishing that garden, watering it, looking after it, harvesting it. Like that's, that's powerful. It's very grounding, isn't it? What well, sounds like it would be a form of meditation almost. Mm, it Active is. meditation. It works for me. Like some people are like, you know, who are going to listen to this in the city, it's hard to kind of like if, 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 I'd, if I was listening to this six years ago, I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah, but fuck him. Yeah, yeah. Like I'll, ju- I'll just go to, um, where was I? Health Nuts in the Cross and just get my cucumbers there, you know? Um, but... You know, Byron's just got like Byron, like you're here now, right? Like it's got an incredible environment. Like, you can feel it, even just driving in. What I I loved and share, I'd love to hear your perspective. But you have the beach and also land, like a yeah. combination of both, and then this sense of just you can feel the energy is different. So, what's your um, being here now for some time? How what how can you describe Byron and its impact on you energetically? So getting back to your comment around you feel good. So mm. I'm the same, right? And that's why everyone comes here. Not just because it's beautiful. Like you've got Bondi, Bronte. You've got heaps of good, amazing beaches in Sydney, right? Better girls in Byron. <laughs> there's, there's, yeah, there's very attractive women here. Um, so, <laughs> so basically I've heard this numerous times that um, this was a healing centre for Aboriginals back in the day. Women used to give birth here. They used to, they used to come to Byron 
to give birth because it's incredibly healing. Um, it's built on, I, I believe, like certain um, crystals and rock formation. So it's, it's very healing. That's why a lot of people, when they come here, they feel amazing. Mm. Um, so energetically, I think it's a very um, powerful place um, to be around, right? Um, listen, I love the landscape here. Like you said, you can be at the beach, like you're at Wadi Goes having a swim. You can drive into the hinterland and be on like a 150-acre property, like, like 10 to 15 <sighs> minutes, like 150 acres, right? Um, even 300 acres, you could be in within 20 minutes, right, from town. And so it's, 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 just, it's very special. And, I mean, the food, like the quality of the food, because the, the soil here is excellent. So that the vegetables, like everything, the quality of food is excellent. Like you see everything, you know, in Sydney made in Byron. Choc chocolates. Yeah. People just like literally get a post office box here. It's marketing. Yeah, you made saw in Byron. It. <laughs> it wasn't made here. But um, a lot of products are made here because the quality is outstanding. The environment's incredible. So I think just the, the, the surf, like I surf right heaps, like the surf's incredible here. Um, also the people, right? So this is an observation. There's no traffic lights. I love it. You, 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 people don't notice it. There's no traffic lights wow. in town. So I didn't notice that for the, like five months. I was like, someone told me, I was like, wow, like that's sick. So like no traffic lights. Um, everyone rides bikes around here. Yeah, everyone rides bikes. Everyone's got pushies, electric bikes. In the tan. Yeah, everyone's just chilling. Um, what I love the most though is the people. So... Growing up in the East, it's quite flashy, right? Mm. But you wouldn't know here if someone's worth $500 million or a dollar. You just don't know. There's no flashiness here, right? I like that. It's unassuming. People don't care about that shit here. I'm sure some people do, but that's not the vibe here. Two, 50% of the people, let's just, let's just for argument's sake, to say 50, 50. 50% of the people here are always traveling, so they're fucking happy. Mm. Like they're stoked. Like heaps of people here right now, yeah. like from Sydney, you can tell Melbourne, everyone's happy. They're out of the city. They're like listening to birds, um, not bad traffic. So the majority of people here who are traveling, which is a large majority at all times, are very happy. The locals here seem, I've only been here a short time, haven't lived here a long time, but seem very pleasant. So it's very nice. Like people wave at you a lot in cars here in Sydney, they tell you to get fucked. <laughs> They waver you a lot here. They pull your signboard out and fuck yeah, it off. Yeah, 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 yeah. They'll scratch your car. <laughs> they'll throw something at you. They'll beep at you. Here, that, that doesn't happen very often. So also just the quality of the people. Uh, it's, it's refreshing for me. Interesting you touch on that because we often hear in business and in real estate, you are who you surround yourself with. And a lot of people try to optimize for the successful crew. But often that comes with a lack in the lifestyle component or it's uh, the energy of the group isn't, doesn't have the, the right source in my opinion. Mm. Have you been able to, being in this different environment, does it enable you to still excel six, materially successfully being here, surrounded by a more relaxed tribe? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of, I think in Switzerland, in Zurich, or not Zurich, but in Switzerland, there's a, like a, there's certain areas like where the, because the environment in Switzerland's fucking amazing, like beautiful of you. I actually went to Zurich to, to see Robin Sharma. Did you? I went to a conference. How was that? Yeah, I saw him, Steve Fuck. Wozniak, and like, it was insane. Um, so I'm, I'm a fan and I went there to see, specifically it was his conference. He's good. 
he's good, he's, he's wise. But there's a lot of Nobel Prize winners who come, who I think either spend time in Switzerland or who are from Switzerland because they surround themselves apparently in a really creative environment. Like beautiful. Yeah, wow. So to answer your question, um, it works really well for me. Like it's just, I'm as heaps creative. There's mm. a lot of space. Really brilliant people here as well. Like you can, like I met a dude here recently. I'll give you an example. This is an example. I I'm really good friends with him. I'm seeing him tomorrow morning. He's 58. He's from the US. Um, I'm sure he wouldn't care if I'm saying this. Um, he, was, he, was, he, was, he ran a few companies. In, in, he's from San Fran. He's an engineer. He ran a few companies growing up. Did, did reasonably well. Sold them. Sold them. Then he went travelling. I think in his 30s he sold them. And then he went travelling. And then by about 40 he was not broke, but like he'd spent a lot of his money travelling the world. At 40... He then flew back to the US. He started a company within three years was doing 600 million USD. Right? 600 million. 600 million. He, he, yeah, he provided a lot of the technology to the prison systems around inmates, around how to monitor them and um, collect certain data on them, etc. Um, anyway, he then he sold up, um, had a bit of a, an experience where he, he got a bit of a download to, to sell his company. Um, he was doing a plant ceremony, got a download, sold the company, got told to sell it and start a farm and grow organic stuff. Sold the company two weeks later, moved to Byron. You meet people like this. Mm. Very, very, super, super, super like dialed in people, brilliant, brilliant people. And they're everywhere around here. Like they're everywhere. So if you want to find them, like you said, surrounding yourself with the right people, if you want to build that tribe, that community, like I'm starting to build of people who are brilliant, you'll find them here. They're, they're everywhere. Wow. You just can't notice them. They don't have the shiny teeth and the shoes and the, <laughs> and, and the watches. Like they'll be fucking driving a ute and they'll be, you know, worth a billion. And you know what's funny? I don't know one real estate professional that's doing 600 million. Unless you maybe do. No, I mean... Listen, I, I think the, the, some, the, the real estate industry is fantastic in terms of um, some of these real estate agents are brilliant with what they do, like individually what they carry in terms of the, um, the, the revenue and also the profit some of these guys do. I think it's inspiring. Like I think um, there's some very large numbers that they generate. Um, I think it's really impressive. You know, you could see this. You could see a company generating 50 million. Their net profit might be two. Mm. You might see a real estate agent does five. He has a high net profit. So I think that... Um, I think it just comes down to like the makeup of what you want to do. Like some people are very much just want to hustle. They want to grind. They want to be the face. They want to be in control. If they are not at work, they don't make money and they're okay with that. Mm. Like they like that. That system works for them. Some people doesn't work for them, right? And so I think you just got to be doing something you genuinely love, you care about and you're fulfilled. Um, the real estate industry, though, is hard to get a temp check on how fulfilled people are, though. Mm. Um, it, it's a hard one because, especially where we are, or where we were, or where I was, especially in Sydney, like, it's hard to, to get a temp check on, 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 on how happy people are. No one wants to talk mm. about it. It is. And I've, from my experience, you can get caught in the, moment, the feeling fulfilled in the fact that you've got heaps of momentum in the success you're acquiring mm. and is that 
you, yeah, sometimes you can mistake momentum for fulfillment. I've experienced personally. 100%. Mm. Yeah, like that's, that, that's a dirty trap that I think um, working hard, working hard. Like I think working hard's a fucking given. Like you want to be, be excellent, you want to be an elite at what you do, you want to be the top one, you've you got to work fucking hard. Like that's, that's just a given. Like I don't, even, I don't even know why that's like even... tomato and tomato sauce. Yeah, I don't even like why that's even discussed. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, and so I think some people are born, you know, with more talent, but skill can be developed, right? I believe skill can be developed if you've got the grit, uh, you've got the discipline, the diligence, you can, you can, you can, you can build the skill. Um, so I think once you work hard and you can get a formula in place, you then need to work out what you then want to create, and if you no longer want to be that person, for example, that's having to work day to day in order to generate revenue, to feed yourself, to build wealth, then you need to reconsider potentially what you want to do. You might need to diversify your funds into, into high-performing assets or invest in funds or, or, do, or own, own, own equity of businesses and do things in order to potentially get you out of that. Um, or you need to pivot career or you need to look at your existing infrastructure of your business and think about how can you build it where you can become redundant, mm. potentially. So there's, there's, there's all these options, but a lot of people, they want the control. The ego is very strong. Um, so I just think it all comes down to choice. Like, I think, it's, I think it's cool. Everyone just does what they want to do and, you know, there's no judgment. I think just you got to be just happy and, and, and just growing and getting better. Yeah. I think that's a big part is not judging yourself on your journey in comparison to others and then likewise not judging what others choose to do because it's easy to get caught in that that's another challenging part i think the you know a comparison game is 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 very tricky very dirty and Mm. typically can be your biggest distraction because you lose focus and as an entrepreneur like whether you're you know buyer's agent or selling agent or you know you're running a company whatever you're doing you know you are deemed let's say as an entrepreneur your focus your lack of focus will bury you before your competition your lack of focus will bury you before your competition will outperform you yeah so you, you people are, people are, are scared that you as an agent who's competing against me mm. you're going to you're going to out you're going to beat me but if I'm not focused day to day because I'm thinking about you and all the other people, my lack of focus is what's going to outperform me. It's actually not you. Mm. It's my lack of focus because I can control. I can't control you. Yeah. I can control my level of distraction, my level of focus, my level of optimization. I can control that. And so I think, I think lack of focus in general I think is what buries most people before they're up you know, before their competition takes them out. Have you implemented anything into your structure to help with focus? I've tried heaps of shit. Like, another thing I have to work really strong on to stay focused, especially like living here, mm. because it's, it's pretty chilled. Yeah, the sun's out. Yeah, yeah. Let's go for a swim. Yeah, it's it's, it's Do a hard. podcast and a singlet. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, uh, and we've got friends always staying with us, like, you know, coming to our... I've got, I've got friends here at the moment, right, that are, you know, um, from Sydney, 
with their kid and stuff. So we're going to oh, wow. we're going to eat after. And so like we and for the last four weeks, I've had guests here from like Cali- from, from from California, um, from from heaps of different places, just staying with us. So uh, you know, it requires uh, a lot of focus for me, right, to to be productive. And so, getting back to your question, the way that I structure my day in terms of activities, like work-related activities, is I don't just pin meetings in the diary for the sake of it. I used to be the yes person. Yep, 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 yep. Becomes really, really expensive. Like, really expensive for me, right? And so, I'm very selective what I put in the diary. like, for example, my accountant called me before this and I, I wanted to do nothing else this week because I'm going away on Saturday. I'm like, there's nothing else going in the diary this week at all. But my accountant called me before and said, hey, Ben, I want to run through your, F20, your F23s and just talk through some strategy around tax and just, like, talk through some things. Um, and I was like, hey, I'd like to do that before the end of the year. Like, that's important to me. Like, I want to, I want to take some time to hear what he has to say, make some decisions potentially over the break and think about it so I can come back next year prepared. So that, that went into the diary. And so I'm just selective what I put in there, who I meet with, right? And so what it does is when I see my day, for example, tomorrow, which I've already looked at, mm. I'm kind of psyched to turn up to them. I'm like, I'm, I'm like fuck yeah. yeah. Like, I'm like I saw there's two specific meetings that I looked at this morning for tomorrow. I'm like, sick. Like, I'm, I'm amped for this. Like, because... A lot of people, because they're yes people that I used to be like, there's such so much garbage in the diary. You're just like, fuck. Like, oh, my God. And then you get, you get resentful with yourself, the person, because it's in there. Mm. But you've got to take ownership and you're like, hey, you put it in there. Like, you know, the, 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 the dinosaur didn't throw it in your diary. So, um, and it's a hard one because if you're, you know, if you're a real estate agent, obviously... You're trying to drum up as you know many 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 meetings as possible, get in front of as many vendors, or you're a buyer's agent as many you know buyer prospects as you can, and so you, you can look at it through different lenses. But ultimately, I think time management's important, and quality of time, and creating space when you can in your diary. Like Jeff Weiner um, from LinkedIn used to be the CEO. He was my favourite CEO, like favourite as a leader. Jeff Weiner. Yeah, you can look him up. Like, just look, you can, he, he was remarkable, I thought, for me. Like, mm. very compassionate leader, um, super wise. Like, if you hear him speak, you, you see what I mean, right? Um, he did an interview with Oprah as well. Like, he's just, he's brilliant. He grew, I think he started LinkedIn when there was like 4,000 and grew up to like, I don't know, 30 or 40,000 staff. Wow. Um, anyway, where I'm getting at. He, I think he was running 30,000 staff across the world. He was renowned for creating a lot of space in his diary. He hated meetings all day. And you can imagine, like, they're a public company, man. Like, people want to talk to that guy every second of the day. Like, not every minute, like every second people Mm. want his time, right? Like shareholders or, like, senior management or whoever. Like, so, but he was renowned and ruthless. And he wrote it. He wrote a, a LinkedIn, you can find it on LinkedIn about his calendar. There's a piece on it where he talks about how he created a lot of space in his diary where he wouldn't, there's no meetings in there because it, that allowed him to be creative, think mm. strategically. He then got better results. I heard him talk about it as well. He said the more space he had in his diary, which went against the norm of a CEO of his calibre, 
the better results he got. Yeah, well, interesting. Very interesting. It sounds similar to the Robin Sharma plan of you only really need five hours of effective focus output per day and the rest you just want to be in a creative zone where you can allow space this is something that i've experienced personally is i get better results or when i allow my calendar to have space to when you want to create space to allow new opportunities to come in and then you have the ability to assess them without being in a state where you're consumed by the next task or outcome with the business if that makes sense. Kind of. So um, when I create space in my calendar for, for, to chill out or what have you, it often gives me, it, it allows me then for when another opportunity comes to assess that opportunity and not be distracted by the 10 hours of work I've got in that day. 100%. Yeah, I understand. And I agree. Mm. I think it comes down to like presence, intense presence. Like if, if you're not, and I struggle with this as well, heaps. Like, lately I've been so... Like, I lost my hat today, like... And I was just like, fuck, where did I put it? Like, can't remember. I lost, must have lost it yesterday. I've lost the same hat before, so I put another one. Just because I'm just distracted mentally, right? Clearly, like, distracted. Um, so, there's so many opportunities. Like, the world's so opportunistic. Like mm. that story I gave you about that guy who was basically broke and then started a company and I think three or four years later was doing 600 million USD, right, a year. Um, there's so many opportunities that just are around us. But I think that some of us, not only we're not present, we're quite closed off the security blanket like I'm a buyer's agent and that's what I'm going to be for the rest of my life and that's what I just think I need to be and, and you're in a concrete jungle like that because that's what you have to do you think you have to do that maybe because things are going remarkably well or maybe you think that's your skill set but then there's like a dude who's at the park who's got a dog who could be that next opportunity that could be potentially your next co-founder or that could have an idea that they want to discuss with you that then could be the biggest venture of your life as to maybe why you're actually born. Because I think that we're all put on this planet to serve in a certain way. Like we were, we were all given certain talents, certain knowledge base, certain skill sets to deliver and perform, I believe, right? And so I think a lot of people, the reason why they're quite miserable, right? My perception, again, my perspective, why people... And, and mental illness is... You can just look at the... Like mental illness is so large. Like there's a fucking problem, right? And I think a, a, a big reason as to why people... Um, are so unhappy is because they're not living their life with purpose with what they're so you're either sleeping for the majority of your life or working both doing both right comprising so i think if you're sleeping you're sleeping right you should be restful and if you're not sleeping and you're working if you're not like super inspired like super super inspired by what you're doing and not solving big problems and like super passionate there's there's a high chance you're not going to be happy mm. and there's a high chance you weren't put on this planet to do that like there's a high chance you weren't supposed to do that and so i think when it's out of alignment um it causes a lot of problems like you know you just want to like buy shit potentially to make yourself happy spend money on shit um but then you spend it and then you're happy with that dopamine for like 10 minutes or a day or a week and then you're unhappy again so getting to my point is that if you are present and open to receive these new ideas and potentially look at different opportunities 
there could be something massive like that's just next to you, right? And I think that all comes down to awareness, just like about being aware that, hey, there might be a better opportunity for you and maybe don't close yourself off to just what you're doing. Mm. Oh, no, that's just, a, that's just a perspective that I've got because I'm, I'm, I'm very open like that. Like I'm always, like I'm not a very social guy. So I don't talk to a lot of people. I'm very, very private, very reserved, very, very reserved. But I'm, I'm very aware that, hey, I, I, like there, there could be someone around me that's just that's going to bring something to life for me or that I might want to participate in or that, I, that may spark my interest. So I'm always very curious, super curious around people and what they're doing and why they're doing it and their viewpoints on things. Do you feel you're operating from inspired action now? And if so, how do you know, how do you get to that state? Like, man, I, like I'm, I'm in a stage in my life where I'm looking for new opportunity. Like I'm looking for a new venture mm. that's like very impactful, like more than what I'm doing now. Don't know what it is. So when I was talking to you earlier about inviting shit in, mm. like I'm going through that. Like I'm, 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 my, my, my ears and eyes are open, just like observing and just seeing, hey, what's out there, right? Um, am I inspired with what I'm doing now? Yeah, like that goose story, like seeing a guy come into my, into my organization who was a drug addict or former drug addict, broke, doing, he just made, he made fast 100 in AFI. It was announced like a week ago. Um, he was like number 12 in the fast 100 in the Australian Financial Review, right? for fastest growing companies. Like when I see shit like that, I'm like, I love that. Mm. Like I love that. And I, and I see so many successful stories all the time in my, in BAI as an example of seeing what people, how they're transforming their lives. Like not just making money, like they're getting out of a shit IT consultant job. They're good at it, drain their life. I saw a guy post in my group the other day, like he got out of IT and now his wife got out of her job and she's joined him because the business is growing so much. And so they're both working together. Wow. It's compatible. They're both out of employment. Like, but I'm a bit numb to that now because I've mm. seen so much of it as well. And true to that, it's somebody else's result. Yeah. Yeah, it's, exactly. Mm. Um, but I love seeing that stuff as well. Like I, I'm not like, I love seeing people win. Like I don't sit there and get resentful, but like I get what you're saying. It's like, it's not my... Mm. It's not my um, journey. It's their journey, which I kind of facilitated. Um, and that's what I do at BAI. Hey, like people think, oh, I'm just creating buyers. Like, no, no, no. Like it wasn't designed just for that. I was in the, I came from a nine to five. I worked corporate. I got a taste of it. I worked for highly intelligent people. I learned a lot. I'm really grateful. I was surrounded by brilliant, brilliant people. A company called Charter Hall, like super, super like lucky, grateful but, but very quickly, I was like, hey, I'm not going to get paid for what I'm worth. Mm. Number one. Number two is like, I get a holiday once a year. Fuck that. <laughs> like, no, seriously. I'm like, <laughs> like, I was just like, no, nah, no. Nah, like this type of, like, like wearing a suit and tie, wearing a mask during the day. Like, like obviously not literally, but yeah. having to put on a mask, the corporate mask. Nah. So I got out of that, started a company, winged it, right? Winged it. When I say winged it, like I'd never worked in sales. I'd never run a business. I didn't come from traditional real estate. So you could say, and then I was entering into the buyer's agent sector, which no one knew what a, who a buyer's agent was. No one. People thought, I, and I used to look respectable. Like I had short hair. I wore, I, I dressed up nicely. People used to think the word buyer's agent, you're an art dealer. 
I had no idea what it was. Telling people you had to pay a retainer, they nearly, they nearly fainted in front of you. You couldn't actually carry out a meeting with them. They nearly fainted. So I entered in that realm of time, which where you could look at me and say, I'm going to bet against this guy, he's going to fail, which a lot of people thought I was going to fail. A lot of real estate agents said I was going to fail, actually. Um, which is fair. I think that's a fair assessment. Because um, they were like, how are you going to charge a buyer? Like, how, why is a buyer? I work buyers. Like, why are they going to pay you? Which I think is fair. Um, but I think what's important, right? So you can look at all this, right? Like, you can look at people's assessments, like, for example, of me, like, thinking I came from corporate. Um, I then went and tried to wing um, a business, which I did. And then I saw my life change. It wasn't all glorious. It was fucking hard. But I saw how I transformed by starting a business, what it did to me personally and, and professionally. Starting a business was my... That, that's a pill for transformation. You want a fucking pill? But, you know, like, mm. don't get ecstasy. If you want a pill for transformation, start a business. Swallow that pill. Swallow 30 of them. Triple dump. Okay? Because <laughs> you, 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 you have to face yourself... You have to see your vulnerabilities. You have to test yourself during hard times. You understand how it all works. A lot of people understand that. But I got a, a very clear experience of what it felt like for me. And so starting BAI and looping back to this discussion is I started it as well to get people out of a nine-to-five Mm. to get that person who thinks they're working as an engineer, that's their life purpose. That's how they've got to live on 120K. Now, I'll show you how to make five mil. And so I get inspiration going back to inspiration, not by how much money they fucking make. I get inspiration from seeing what they build, how they back themselves, the courage, the commitment their wife joining them, like how they're challenging themselves differently, like just watching their lives transform because I've been doing this now for just under five years. Seeing those journeys is like, I'm a bit numb to it though, but like that's what, I get off on that. Like that, that, that gives me, that gets me going. So um, that's my form of inspiration for BAI is, is seeing people's lives change. Not everyone's life's changed. Though. People fail what I do. Mm. Not everyone's successful. Mm. How, has that impacted you? I'll tell you a story. So I had to be very... It used to piss me off seeing people not win. Yeah. So, so for a few years, it used to piss me off. I used to, I used to then blame myself. Ah, oh, my content's not good enough. Ah, oh, I shouldn't have been in the group. Ah, oh, like, ah... Oh. But then a few things happened. So this is the story. There was an African guy called Sanders. He was a nurse for 30 years and he called us up. I wasn't on the call. But it got escalated to me because the, the sales rep at my company so was like, bro, this guy's not going to cut it. Like, we shouldn't let him in. Like, we can't understand him properly. Like, you know, he's, he's like, they weren't being rude. They're being respectful. Like, they're operating with integrity in my mm. team. Like, we shouldn't bring him into the group. As a buyer's agent. And 
I spoke to him, hey, because I wanted to talk to him. And I don't know, I, luckily I had the, the um, I don't know if it was intuition, whatever you want to call it, but I was like, nah, I'm going to give this guy a go. Like, I'm gonna, he was a property investor as well. So he wasn't, like, he, he there, was, there was certain metrics that I was looking at that I was like, hey, I want to give this guy a go. Fast forward, like, he runs a, he runs a seven-figure business. He was a nurse for 30 years. He got out of it. He's, he's, wow. he's, and, and he smashed it. He's, in, he's, an Afri, he's African. He's, he's, when it walked, he's, he services the African community in Australia. Um, he's a very, like, he's bought over, like, maybe, like, 17, 18 properties for himself. Like, but... What I learned from that was, who am I to fucking judge these people? As you said, like, it's not my journey. Like, who mm. am I to sit here and be Mr. Dictator? Like, hey, you're going to be good. You're going to be not good. Like, I've had people come to my group who own 30 properties who haven't been great buyers agents. They think because they own all this property, they're going to be... You, you, no leads, no, no business. So if you can't lead generate, you're gone. And if you can't consistently do that, you're gone. You can have the best research process. You can have the most... The, you, you can be so skilled in negotiating, but if you don't have clients, you don't have a business, right? But getting back to my point, when, that's, when I saw that situation unfold, over about maybe an eight-month period from when I let him and I watched it, it shifted for me. It shifted for me as in like, if you come into the group and it doesn't work, that's okay. I interviewed a guy recently who's a broker, mortgage broker. I interviewed him because he went, we spoke to him and he said, I've got, he goes, I came into your program and I'm not a buyer's agent now. He goes, I never had an intention of becoming one. I just wanted to do your program. I wanted to deal with other buyer's agents. I want to learn how they think. I wanted to become more skilled around buying property myself. Wow. I wanted to be in your community. And so I interviewed him because I was curious around that. But I think what I've started to be more okay with is that everyone's on their journey. They don't have to be a buyer's agent to, to, to win. If someone quits their job as a result of doing my program and doesn't become a buyer's agent, tick. Mm. If someone learns a skill in my program that they then develop further and that helps them become better, tick. So I got, I got comfortable with that and okay with that after a period of time. And so um, I'm okay with, I know that people like who come into my program aren't gonna win. That's just life. And so um, I just learned to like surrender and accept that. Powerful, man. It's, I'm going through a process. It sounds like you're at a stage where your business, BAI, has been a great vehicle to serve you and it was in a form of inspired action which built a vehicle to help you with your lifestyle piece. But now potentially it's not your investment in that isn't as is day-to-day -day inspiring yes the results are inspiring but maybe the process of the activities isn't as maybe intrinsically inspiring as what it once once was how do you go from do you maintain so i'm okay the reason i say that is because i'm going through something similar where i've got the buyer's agency which isn't as fulfilling day-to-day -day. it's not as inspiring yes it's a great vehicle but i'm like now how do i then find my next intrinsic Maybe it's not about finding, it's about allowing in the next intrinsic mm. thing. Do you still maintain the vehicle that got you there and figure out a way to remove yourself and let that sustain? Or do you believe in cutting off what no longer serves you to... Um, it, it still serves, but for your scenario, for example, do you think you will keep this entity 
eliminate yourself out to allow some new intrinsic activities to fall into your lap um or is it about being proactive instead of waiting for the next intrinsic thing to come forcing something like how how do you perceive people that are stuck in a rut want to find intrinsic action and succeed at the same time number one i think you've got to mitigate risk so Mm. what does mitigate risk look like when steve wozniak who i saw at sharma talk um, at the conference in switzerland when he started apple with jobs he worked at hewlett packard so he started apple he co-founded apple while working part-time at hewlett packard phil knight from nike he was an accountant when he started nike he mitigated his risk he didn't just jump into nike right away Mm. right there's a lot of these large companies that when they start ideas that they're not sure especially these very large ones obviously like that i mentioned they're not sure how they're going to go and so a lot of them start not fully in at times. And I think that's okay. So I think that for me, as an example, my business runs fully outside of me independently, like completely, like completely. I've got a full senior leadership team, full team top bottom that just runs, right? Um, so I am fortunate enough now with that specific business that I can allocate time and thinking to invite and explore other opportunities but getting back to your question for people who could be in a rut or just like is i think you got to mitigate risk hmm. and so to jump all in I, i've seen people do that and so it's, it's when you ask that question i'm like oh i know some people have just like said fuck it like this is not serving me i'm cutting the cord and i'm out and then they do what they need to do whatever that looks like to find the next thing and i've seen it work for people is that my approach though? No. I'd hate to kind of recommend to people to go like, hey, cut your cord and go pursue your life dream. I'd prefer to be more methodical and be like, hey, don't cut the cord. Keep income coming in. Remain being stimulated potentially if it is somewhat stimulating or try and work out how you can focus on a role or change what you're doing to become more stimulated. And simultaneously start to allow space to invite these opportunities and start to engage in conversations with people that you want to connect with. Like start taking proactive approaches Mm. to either find that next thing or as you said, like bring in an energy field or be around a tribe of people or surround yourself. Like if you want to get into selling textiles, like start hanging around textile people. Like go on LinkedIn, go find them, go talk to them, go interview them, go to conferences. Like begin that journey of getting, you want to get into diamonds, like selling diamonds, like, Go to Israel, go to South Africa, um, speak to people. Go to, like, so I think that you need to be strategic around how you do it, um, if you can. Mm. But there's no right or wrong answer. I heard a saying, to do what you love, you've got to learn to love what you currently do. True. That makes sense. Mm. Which is hard. Like, you know, do people love what they prospecting? do? Prospecting? I mean, I like prospecting, I have to say. Like, I, I like it. Like, what, what's your favourite type of prospecting? Outbound prospecting. Wow. I fucking love it. On the phones or? Everything. Everything. I love outbound. Like, I don't do a lot of it now because I've got a full team that, that, that dedicated to outbound and stuff. But I... I I love outbound. Like I, I fucking love it. 
Like I, I get excited talking about it. I, I love the process of just like the manual nurturing someone. Like so, you know, I want to I want to do business with you. What's the process look like? Um, what's my first touch point? How am I going to add value to you? How am I going to like? How am I going to? How am I going to? Um, excite you about what I'm doing or what I want from you or what I want to discuss with you and what's that and just taking that journey and it could take a year or two years could take six months could take a week but going to you outbound I could find you on a LinkedIn I could find you on um, somewhere else I could email you straight away go just out go I had someone email me today I thought the email was quite cool like they got me on LinkedIn obviously they scraped me and I could tell they got my details from LinkedIn um, but I think having that first connection with someone and then bringing an opportunity to life is really cool. Like completely cold. Like I think that's amazing. And so I get excited with that. Like I love sales. I fucking love it. Um, and I didn't come from sales. Mm. And so I sucked at it and I was terrible at it. But... I do try my best around learning a lot around B2B and B2C and learning different systems. Like I went to the US and studied Keller Williams, you know, the largest franchise in North America, like sell side. They got buyers agents obviously, but primarily like, you know, went to their conference, met their senior leadership, learn about their model. And, um, you know, I think Stanford or Harvard or Harvard's written papers around there because they're very profitable. They're a highly profitable model, very profitable business. Um, I think they've got around 160,000 agents in North America um, but, you know, I just get curious about certain things and um, why I brought Keller Williams up is I read The One Thing. The, the, the One Thing is a book. The One Thing. By Gary Keller, the founder of Keller Williams. And so let me give you an example. So I was with my business coach at the time, Simon Reynolds. Good coach? Yeah, he's fucking brilliant. Like he, he um, helped, like he's very big in the marketing space and advertising, like helped John Simons work, got Aussie, got um, uh, Johnny, John Simons off the ground with um, Aussie, is it Aussie? Aussie Hermes, Hermes, yeah. Like, yeah, he's, he's a gun. Legend, like really smart guy. Um, coaches very top performing CEOs around the world. Um, so I was doing, I was, I was speaking to Simon and this is what I got, like this is how I get value from coaches, right? It's not just about them telling me like, um, things in the meeting around strategy like he said i said hey i'm looking to like rethink the model ch i'm looking at like blah 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 blah. he said read the one thing like i i think good coaches do that rather mm. than like trying to prescribe something to you they will slide you something and say learn about it and see when see what that journey then see the journey that then takes you on mm. so he slid the one thing not literally slid the the name i wrote it down got the book, read it on the plane, going overseas. I was going to Singapore as well in that time. Went to Singapore, read the book, finished it, landed in Singapore and thought, I was on my phone as we're landing, on LinkedIn, going outbound, trying to find someone in senior leadership at Keller Williams. I was like, I was so inspired by the book. I was like trying to get in contact with Gary Keller. Um, couldn't get his details. I was trying to scrape it off a site as well. I couldn't, couldn't get it because there's, there's, there's sites you can scrape their emails. You can get access to, to anyone's email. So I couldn't get his... I couldn't find Gary Keller. So anyway, I got access to a lady called Diane. She was the head... She was the global head, the global CEO of training and education at Keller Williams. So I got her details and I, I emailed her. 
She then messaged me back like pretty quick after and said, call me. So I called her and she was on vacation. They said, this is Americans for you. Like this is, this is the land of opportunity, right? She then, I called her, she goes, I'm on vacation in Hawaii. And then that call, then she invited, she goes, listen, I'm, I want to invite you to our conference in Orlando. So it's a five-day conference, like everything's paid for. What happened on the call for you to get invited? I think she, I was a young guy, man. She, she, heard, she heard my enthusiasm. She knew I just read the book and I just fucking went outbound to her and said, hey, I want to learn your systems. I, I just want to learn about your model. And she said, listen, come to our conference. Like we're an open book. Like we'll sh- we're a friend. Like we'll show you all our stuff. Like, you can meet our senior leaders, like our CEO and our COO and like sit with us and you, you'll hear all the high performing agents. There were some agents doing like I think 20 mil a year GCI, USD that we were listening to. And so getting back to outbound, like that's an example like prospecting is not around just making money prospecting mm. for outbound is around developing opportunity like developing opportunity creating opportunity and so i love that and so that's just an example of someone that i went outbound to and man the learning i got even from simon reynolds my coach telling me to read a book and then how that book then got me to orlando sitting with their ceo and coo and kind of going through that journey um, was fucking amazing. Wow. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot out there to, to kind of dive into. But, but if you're asleep at the wheel and you're just in your shell all day, in that shell, you can miss a lot of fun stuff. But some people are okay being in the shell. I was in the shell for a long time. So I've been there. Um, so I'm not criticising, but um, there's a lot of cool things happening, I think, in the world, right? There's a lot of interesting people, interesting dynamic, people building serious, seriously, like, cool stuff, like, pro- like businesses, like products or services that, that are just mind-blowing. And I think the more you look into it, because I am fascinated about business, so I look into it all. I'm just curious around what people are doing and I, I research stuff and, like... It, it brings in humility. Like if, 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 you're do, if you're generating, let's say as an example, three million bucks and you think you're good, go find the 19-year-old who's got an $800 million company in the States because you'll find it very quickly. Or in India, like you'll find it. <sighs> so that to me um, activates humility for me. Like going around and looking at these young entrepreneurs or even that example I gave you of that guy... Richard, who I was talking about earlier, who at 40 was broke and then said, like, that's like, that, that was inspiring when I heard. When he told me the story, I was like, oh, my God. And, and another, an interesting story he told me, I'm just going back to that story, is he was an engineer, but he used to come up with new um, patent technologies for what he was doing, like, like ideas, like to patent. So he used to spend six months in his company going on a yacht or going around the world. Like, he was a, like an adventurer. So, like, he wasn't the type of guy who's flying just around jets and all that type of shit. Like, he was like a thrill seeker. So he would spend six months of the year going around the world doing crazy shit to think of these ideas. And he'd then come up with, like, three of them and he'd fly back to San Francisco, bring in the whole, like, hundreds and hundreds of engineers and he'd say, guys, these are the ideas, let's build them. And so there's just people doing really interesting and fascinating stuff. Um... And you just got to step in and learn about it. 
and then it brings you back down to normality around what you're currently doing. Mm. I, for me. It's an interesting point you said is bringing yourself back down to like a normality. Um, I'm now quite fascinated with, have you explored any of John D. Martin's work? Lightly. I'm interested, I'm fascinated with people that can balance perception where we often look at people on pedestals or below us and it's about balancing perception so that you're back at a centre point and you can look at things objectively or the foundation of reality before making a decision. Um, and, yeah, just the point of seeking people like that brings you back to humility I found interesting. Yeah, because the ego is tricky. We've all got like typically quite strong egos, um, some less than others. And when you think you're good enough or you're too good, it's good to look at other people who are doing better. Mm. And I think it also then lifts your standards. You're like, hey, I thought that was good. No, no, no. Like, it's actually not that good maybe. And so it also can be a bit um, – not humiliating, but it can be a bit harsh as well. Because when you think you're, you're on top of the world, doing something and achieving a certain number, whatever metric you're kind of defining as that success metric for you, and then you see what some like so that goes back to comparing. But if you come from a place of curiosity rather than compare mm. and observation and you're just observing, um, you move a lot of what you move, you can move from entitlement to radical humility. Entitlement shift. That's the game. You shift from entitlement. We're all very entitled. Like fucking expect our coffee now. <laughs> hey, get out of my parking spot. You know, like hey, be here now. Like we're all super entitled, right? And so when you can shift from entitlement to radical humility, I think it's power. Fuck, man, that is powerful. I can sit and I, I get distracted, like not distracted, I can sit and listen. I get so immersed with when you speak that then you lose train of where we're going. But um, how much of what you, of the success you've acquired, would you say is spiritually related or is just the result of you following a science approach of uh, here's what the result or the outcome we're looking for, here's a plan reverse engineered to get there? I mean, I think spirituality is, has a different interpretation for everyone. It could involve religion. Um, mm. it, it, it could involve um, introspection. Like, I, I think spirituality, I'm introspective. Like I, I want to learn about my insecurities. I want to I learn about how I can become better. Um, I want to learn about how to become more aware, more conscious, um, I want to I want to be the best version of myself and I'm committed to that. Like not just about getting stronger for example or making more money like I want to become the best human being I can be, which takes a lot of fucking work, right? I think like it's a life practice and we won't ever we'll never even get there. And so for me I'm on that journey mm. of just becoming the best version of myself. And so getting back to the science stuff like I used to be like that you know, everything needs to be like, hey, it needs to work this, this, this style of formula. Like not, not, 
like hypothetical as they form. Like it needs to be like in a linear style of way. And um, now more chilled. Like last quarter, as an example, I didn't hit what I wanted to do last quarter. Like for 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 for, for part of the business, I didn't hit what I was anticipating, what I forecast to hit for my numbers. Typically, I, I was I was buried for a bit. There was, there was a day or two. I like, it was like I was fucking mourning. Like, if you saw me, <laughs> if you saw me, you, you, you'd actually think so. I'm not, I'm not perfect. Like, I'm still working through yeah, it yeah. because I had an addiction to work before. And, and so it's, it's not done yet. But if you looked at me for two days, you'd think someone died. I swear. Like it, you wouldn't, I wouldn't talk to you. I was very upset. But I flipped pretty quick. Like two days is a very long time. Very long time. But um, I'm getting a lot better at it. So, for, for example, like I'm okay with that now. And I got okay after. I was like, that's about, I'm going to make it up. I know I'll make it up. I've got the financial year to make it up. But even if I don't, I'm okay. Like things do go down and up. And so it's a bit like, you know, water. It just flows. And sometimes it just changes temperature. Sometimes it's more fast. But I guess now I go with the flow more. There's a book called The Surrender Experiment. The Surrender Experiment. It's next level. So this guy, I haven't read it for a while, but quick high level. This dude thought, I'm just going to surrender into everything. I'm going to basically just like surrender to everything in the day. Like whatever, like I'm just, I'm not going to have an agenda. I'm just going to surrender. Like if I met you at the beach and you said like, hey, let's go for a surf, I'd be like, okay, surrender to that. Like so he, he went on a quest to surrender Cut a long story short, he then built like a billion. This is a, like a like a few billion dollar company in in a, in a jungle, like an IT company. I forget how it all worked, but like it led him into a, into like a forest, or, and he built. It was like a few billion. That was a long time ago. So like it, I don't know. It could be worth like ten billion. Is that today. Michael Seeger? Yeah. There you go. So, um, I'm not following that approach, obviously, but I'm, it, it's more of a concept. Combination. Like, I'm just trying to, like, be like, okay, like, acceptance, like, things, that thing didn't work out. And so I'm trying to work in that dynamic more and I've got a plan and the plan can deviate, but we'll see what happens. You know what mm. I mean? And, I, and I'll look at opportunities when they come to me during that plan and... If they, if they excite me, I'll deviate from the fucking plan. Um, I'll change direction. So um, before I was more fixed. It's like, no, 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 like, no, like, this is how it needs to work and um, more structured, heap structured, very structured. I've got less structure now. Works for me. Hmm. Do you feel less structure? Is there discipline in having less structure? I think you need more discipline. More discipline. I think you need more discipline for, for me. So what do I mean by that is by having less structure, it can be mentally exhausting because you feel like, especially being structured, it's like, oh, I should be doing this. Oh, I'm becoming lazy. Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, like this won't, I won't get this result. And so... I think you, there's an element of like you need belief, you need faith that, hey, things are going to work out. But I think you need discipline to then not deviate mm. and go back to implementing structure, serious structure. I think it's a heavy. 
amount of discipline and diligence around not caving in and reverting back to your old self. Interesting. So either way, there's discipline required. I think it's discipline with, with, with everything. Like mm. if you've got a relationship with your love partner, there's discipline in improving that and there's discipline in committing if you wanted to, to, to improve that. Like um, you've got to apply discipline to you want to become more healthier, you've got to look at your nutrition. There's discipline around then eating certain foods. Mm. Um, there's a discipline around learning about, like I told you about coffee, like most people don't know that most coffee beans are fucking toxic, like really toxic. Uh, there's a discipline in wanting to, like there's a curiosity around learning about it, but there's a discipline around like studying it. And mm. like, and so I think we need a strong element of discipline in our lives for sure, like around what we do. Especially if you want to be a high performer. Mm. What's been the most profound experience of your life and then we can wrap up? I appreciate all your time on this. The most profound experience. That's, that's a deep question. That's a deep question. We're in Byron Bay. Yeah, I know. Um, What's the first thing that comes to mind when I say that? Hypothetically, just something that came to mind. Getting my first cat. Getting your first cat? Walk me through it. So when I got my first cat, Mishka, who's passed. Sorry to hear. Thanks, brother. Yeah. Um, so I was a workaholic then. And so I was so identified with work at that stage of my life that everything was work. So it was more important than relationships, fam, everything. Work, 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 work. For me it was. So when I got my first cat, it just changed my perspective on life. And it's, I know it's a bit, it sounds a bit strange, but I just started to feel into affection more, compassion more, um, less self, I was less selfish. I had to look after the cat. I was very selfish before, it was all about me. Um, love. Um, so it, 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 was, it, it was a big shifting experience for me. Even though I had like a love partner at the time, um, getting the cat, I think, was, a, was just a fucking game changer for just broadening my, my senses around life. As, as crazy as it sounds, hey, like, so I'd say that was a, one of the most profound experiences. There you go. Getting a cat, eh? Who, who would think getting a cat? Interesting. Well, it sounds like it allowed emotions or perspectives to surface. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um, and then I guess when you're in those frequencies more presently, it attracts more like. Mm. I think so. Man, this has been an, a phenomenal podcast for me. It probably wouldn't be an interesting podcast for the listeners, to be honest. I, I mean... Um, most real estate people that are in there, I got a lot out of this. I was very selfish as opposed to asking the typical real questions. That's what I, that's what I mean by that. But, um, I really appreciate your time because it was really enjoyable to take a different route than the average podcast we do. So thank you so much for sharing and being open to share. <laughs>